Hello there, this is Wale Olulano, the presiding apostle of Harmony Christian Ministries. I'm happy that you can join us today in our podcast. I pray today's message will encourage, edify, and illuminate your heart, wherever your circumstances may be. Please relax and enjoy. Luke chapter 15, from 11 to 20, verse 11. Then he said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possession with prodigal living. Mercy, Lord. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to the citizen of that country. And he sent him to the fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. Verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare? And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. And I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. We'll just pause there for a second. May God bless the reading of his word in our hearts. Father, we just thank you for once again your sweet presence. I just commit the rest of the service into your hands. I pray, Lord, that you use me as a mouthpiece. Help me to bring your word, your message to the hearts of the people. Lord, I empty myself. Use me as a channel, Father. Use me as a vessel. Use me as a vessel, Father. Let your word that is quick, that is active, that is powerful, convict our hearts, transform our lives, lift souls that are lowly and and sad and sorrowful, and let there be joy, gladness, celebrations in the name of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In Jesus' name. A certain man had two sons. What was the contemplations in the heart of the prodigal son? What did he conceive? What what drove him to make such a rash, sudden decision? And sometimes we often relegate this message, the prodigal son, to the youths. It's only for the young ones. If we are honest, most of the times I heard it, it was when I was growing up. The prodigal son, and he puts fear in your heart. But you know, studying this passage, I found that there's so many traits, so many things in it that I can relate to even at my age. I feel like it's relatable. I feel like there are so many things that are still in myself that I need to deal with. And I'll just speak about four things that we can draw from that first part. By the way, the title of my message God's message (laughs) is stay on cause. Amen. Stay on cause. Stay on cause. In this period of new beginning, new beginning, we've been hearing this message. It's important that we stay on cause. What does God have for you? What does it mean for you, new beginning? For this family, a new beginning was different. Different. The man... His two sons came, sat, you know, according to my version, sat on the table. And his son said, one of them said, I want the portion 
that belongs to me. Three things or four things rather that you can draw out from that where I think there's common traits I myself I can relate to. The first is it was a selfish decision. A selfish decision. Why is that? Did he stop to consider the impact it would have on the family dynamics? The plans the father had. When you make rash, selfish decisions, do you think about the effect it would have on the team that you're part of? He just opted and decided, I want the portion of goods that belong to me. How would he affect the family? How would he affect the team? How would he affect the relationship dynamics? Oftentimes when we make such selfish, self-centered, self-consumed, self-absorbed decisions, we have to ponder the effects, the impact. And I can relate to this. I know we're all sanctimonious and holy, and it only applies to a sect of people. But I put myself in this and I say, yes, sometimes... I'm capable of making selfish decisions without counting the cost, without contemplating the impact. You know, in that period, it was customary. I think it was a warning, actually, not to break up the father's estate too early. At that time, there was, a, there was an unwritten Jewish law, if you like. You know, until it is time, don't break up the estate. Don't split the possessions but this decision cost which leads me to my second point it caused a premature it was a premature decision that led to the breaking of the father's livelihood not his livelihood it, it laid a demand on what belonged to the father I want it now I want to go off when you look at the definition of prodigal living, several words come up, riotous, wild. One of the words that come out is untimely. It was a premature decisions. A premature decisions, I beg your pardon. Now I know sometimes you want your independence and I can relate to it or I could relate to it when I was younger. You want to be your own boss. You want to control things. Sometimes we feel the pressure of wanting to forge into new territories, break new barriers, be accomplished, be successful. And oftentimes it leads us to make rash, premature decisions. There's a difference between living abruptly and being sent off. The third one, which I'm coming to now, is entitlement-based decision. Entitlement-based decision. And pastor has preached about this. Entitlement, when you have a sense of entitlement, it can rob you of quality relationships. Depth in relationship. And what do I mean by that? We know the story of Ruth, Naomi, Boaz, do you know in Ruth chapter 2, Boaz was described as a cousin, a relative of Naomi's husband. He was described as that. So all that time where they were suffering, they didn't have much, 
Ruth could have said, Naomi, come on, put in the word. Make the connection. How can you have a cousin that is boxed up, we say? Has money, has this wealth, and we are here suffering, and you're crying. Well, she could have said that. Entitlement-based decision. But what did she do instead? She applied herself to process. She stayed. She gleaned in his field. Entitlement-based decisions sometimes can rob us of quality and depth in our relationship. I know I've had my fair share of making entitlement-based decisions. I can think of a time when I was a teenager when I couldn't understand how we have very close friends or people that were very close friends of my dad. Governors, commissioners. And I was like, why are we... It's like you had a group of friends used to play tennis with then this one became a governor that one became a governor this one became a commissioner and you became a born again Christian great great <laughs> but I got past that because actually that's the foundation that's what we need being brought up in a Christian home is a privilege in this day and age it's a privilege not to be taken lightly but I didn't know better then I remember as a teenager, I would push my mom and, figuratively speaking, not physically, push my mom and ask, why don't, you why don't you tell dad to make this connection? Why don't you tell him to go out and reach out to these governors and so on and so forth? I know better now because I look back and I thank God for such decisions not to compromise because it comes at a cost. It comes at a cost. And that's one thing that I'm trying to, God's, by God's grace, imbibe in my, as I start my family as well. Not to compromise, not to jump out for quick gains. Entitlement-based decisions. The fourth thing. Just before I go on to the fourth thing, there's something else I wanted to mention. Do you know that these days, you have to put a disclaimer when you quote things. So I'll put a disclaimer. This is something I read from a book called Thou Shall Prosper. Thou Shall Prosper, yeah, by Daniel Lapin. And he said, the word entitlement does not feature in the Hebrew dictionary. Let us sink in for a second. Now, you know, please fact, fact check. But that's something that stood out to me. The word entitlement doesn't feature in the Hebrew dictionary. But yet, this was the decision that the prodigal son made. I want what is mine. I want my portion. And that's often the decisions we make as well. The fourth thing is a wasteful decision. Wasteful. What do I mean by that? All that time he ran off to a distant land and joined himself to, this, to a citizen of that country and he forsook the gathering of his family not only does the bible tell us that he wasted and he lived a lavish life and it he wasted everything he squandered everything what he took that was his father's livelihood he moved it to become his possession when we take what belongs to god and we say i want me it's my gift i want to take use this for this and that, and we take it outside of God, it leads to waste, put simply. 
wasted time, wasted opportunities, wasted resources. And that's what you see here. It says he squandered his possessions. In this season of new beginning, anything that he has blessed us with, gifts, time, opportunities, resources, that are meant to be preserved, that are meant to be multiplied, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would be sustained in his grace, in his presence, in the name of Jesus. Our youths would not waste their gifts. Gone are those times where you have gifts that God has given you and you take it out there to the world and you get lost in it. There's so many examples of it. So many, so many. So many artists, gifted, they go out and what becomes of them? Because they've gone out of the creator, the giver of good gifts. We are created in his workmanship. There's a reason why he has given us these things. Yes, I know we want to integrate. Yes, I know we want to, you know, break into new frontiers and whatnot and push the envelope. But it, there has to be a balance there has to be a balance. It has to be within the confines of God's purpose, God's plan, God's will and his ways. So I pray in the name of Jesus, no more shall we lose our kids to the world. In the name of Jesus. Because times are changing. There's a new season, a new great awakening. If we just look at Psalm 138 verse 4 very quickly. Psalm 138 verse 4. It says, All the kings of the earth shall praise you, O Lord, when they hear the words of your mouth. Verse 5. Yes, they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Why did I ask us to put this verse up? Because times are changing. The kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God. It will according to his word there's an excitement out there about what's out there we keep running out there to the world it says the kings of this world will sing his praise but when when they when it says when they hear his word who would they hear it from you me the church pastor falabi preached last sunday beautifully and he said, the work of God, the manifestation of his promises would start from the church. From the church. The Bible says the kingdom of this world will become the kingdom of our God. It says there will be a gathering onto the mountain of God. And that's what the scripture says. So the CEOs, the people in the entertainment industry, sports industry that we look up to, that become our idols, that we look up to for lessons. It says they will sing the praises of God when they hear his words. I just pray for us in the name of Jesus that we would continue to understand the word of God. Would continue to speak the word of God. That it would start from the church. We would not fall prey to conforming to the things of this world. But will be renewed and transformed by his word. So that kings will come to his rising. In the name of Jesus. So I said, I can relate to this because 
there was a selfish ambition, a premature decision, or a selfish decision, a premature decision, an entitlement-based decision, and a wasteful decision. That was the new beginning for this young lad. But we thank God for his rescue plan, his restoration plan. Thank God because his story did not end there. We move to stage two. His decision and action to go back to the father. And if we just read again from verse 17 to 20. It says, but when he came to himself, thank God because someone is coming to themselves today in the name of Jesus. We are coming to ourselves. When he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread? Bread enough to spare. And I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father. Personal decision. In this time where the word is coming to us about new beginning, there's a personal element to it. It's a corporate world. It's a corporate world. But we have to engage with the word. We have to participate. We have to ask, what does it mean for me and my family? What does it mean? I will arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of the hired servants. And in verse 20, it says, And he arose and came to his father. He arose. Someone say, he arose. He arose. The second stage is his decision and action to go back to the father season of new beginning what decisions would you be prompted to make what would come to mind what would trigger the thoughts the decision to arise and become who you are the son of your father you know in um, Isaiah 43 where it says 43:18, where it says I am doing a new thing we all know the scripture Isaiah 43, 43, 18. Do not remember the former things. Forget about it. Don't consider the things of old. Behold, I do a new thing. Behold, I do a new thing. What does beholding mean? We can see that in this scripture. I have three keys in stage two that would help with beholding and preparing for the new beginning. The first is the image of the father having an imagination that is God-filled. Not an imagination that is full of things of this world, not fantasies, not selfish ambitions. An imagination that is born of God. Because he's, he kept saying, I will arise, I will go to my father, in my father. There was a familiarity with his father. Even though he had descended to a point of, I'll call rock bottom. Even though he was almost eating the pig's food. How low can you get? And that was the trigger. You know, in Jewish culture at that time, mixing around with pigs was a no-no. Unclean animals. So maybe that was the trigger. Maybe at that point, he was 
perceiving the smell of the food for the pigs. I don't know. But it says he reasoned within himself. He contemplated and he said, I will arise. A memory of the father in my father's house. He has servants in my father's house. I can at least become a servant. Three times he mentioned my father. Friends, in this journey of new beginning, we have to have an image of the father. An image of what matters to him. An image of, that's what beholding mean, and, and means. An image of his purpose, his plans, his ways, his will, his strategy for this time. Because believe it or not, this is, whew, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting time. Complex time. Things are changing so rapidly. An image of the Father. We have to start using our imagination. What are the God-given gifts in us? How can we use it for his kingdom? What are the possibilities, the new possibilities? The new frontier, the new alternatives. And that's what he was pondering on. He started thinking, if I go, I can get this. I will repent. Forgetting the former things. And instead contemplating a new beginning. With the image of the father in his mind. I pray in the name of Jesus that just like the prodigal son. More and more we will start beholding the father in his glory. His God's giving gifts in us. We would fan it. We would not waste it to prodigal living and lifestyles. In the name of Jesus. You know, in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, it says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just by the Spirit of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18. Beholding, continuous present tense. It's not a one-time thing. It is continuous, which leads me to my second point, keys to beholding and preparing the new beginning, identity of the father. You'll notice they are all eyes so far, the image of the father. The second is the identity of the father. He repeated father several times. He had a consciousness of his personality, a familiarity about who his father is. You know, later you'll read in that same passage where it describes, the father describes um, his son and he says, my son who was dead is now alive. Who was lost is now found. The reason why he says dead is because at that time, when you make such decisions, remember I said it was not customary to make such decisions at that time. So when you made it, you were written off. Dead. Consider dead. But he remembered the identity of his father. Friends, when you know who he is, remember that scripture says, beholding us in the mirror, the image of God, the image of his glory. And he says, you go from glory to glory. When you behold and you know who the father is, then you will know who you are. Because it's a mirror. We're at a time where we're trying to fit in. We're trying to figure out where we fit in in the grand scheme of things. 
times are changing so rapidly. And I, and I want to indulge the parents. We have to really trust God for directions for our children. Because times are changing. The world is complex. I think of the passage or a, 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 an article that Pastor read out um, beginning of 2020, I believe. And I think recasted the vision as well in 2021. The church I see. The church I see in the next 10 years. Do you know what's happening out there? That would, <laughs> in the next 10 years, the drastic changes, dramatic changes. People are exploring space for crying out loud. Space. The traditional things that we used to do, our kids go and study medicine, be a solicitor, be this, be that. It's changing. Now we need to equip ourselves. But do we look to the world for direction? Or do we look unto God for that strategy? Because whilst these things are happening, he has a grand plan as well. The times are different. I remember a time you want to research something on the internet. And the first few things that will come up are things that are facts. They are they are fact-checked. They are accurate. They are the, if you like, the standard, the, the, the archetype when it comes to that subject. Whether it's on investments, whether it's on sermons. What, but now, you search on the internet and it's like, where do I start? Information. It's the same with data. Data is... We think there's a lot of data now. In the next five years, six years, this will be a fraction. There's going to be so much volume of data, the internet as well. You know, I always like to, I always say this. It's a different dispensation of time. The traditional, the old, we have to forget about it. And start believing God for new strategies for what's to come. New strategies. You think about investments. There was a time for you to invest. You have to go through a big broker, big platform. Now, those things. Everybody, 11-year-old, 15-year-old, you can buy stocks, buy shares, buy ETFs, whatever you want to do. It's out there. Things have been democratized. Middlemen. The, you know, where you had big platforms, the big companies, it is changing. If you want to start selling merchandise now, you can sell it. You don't need to rely on a big company to print. Things are changing. It's a complex world. But the Bible says he has made us wonderfully complex. We have what it takes to not only decipher the times and the season, but also to be rulers, to be to usher in this new, new times and season that is coming before us. Where it says kings would praise God. The kingdom of this world become the kingdom of our God. That's the time that we are moving into. Information is out there. So much. So much. You know, previously we started with the industrial age. 
Then we move to the agricultural age. Prof, please correct me. Remember. The agricultural age. Then there was the information age, internet, everything. Now it's what you call a creator's economy. That's what the world call it. Where anybody can create anything. So before you wanted to be a journalist, guess what now? You can go on sites, write stuff, send, and you'll be paid for it. You don't need to wait for a big network to do that. You want to be a journalist? Oh, just go on YouTube, upload your video, start getting followership. Middlemen are being, rem- like, it is the speed at which things are happening. And these are the things our young ones have to contend with. These are the things we have to bear in mind, bear in mind when we are raising our kids. Creators economy. You can create anything now. Influencers. Sometimes, you know, the church of God, we're, we're trying to get followers. Someone comes with whatever, nonsense, and they get one million followers. And you're like, what? <laughs> well, you know what? In all seriousness, when all is said and done, God would give us his wisdom, his strategy to raise our kids so that that which is put on the inside of us all will be sustained and used for his glory in the name of Jesus. The identity of our father. And that's why we have to keep our eyes on him for that strategy. We can't compete with what's happening out there and we can't join and be like. Because what happens is, yeah, one minute you are drawn to this, I'm doing this. The next minute I'm doing that. The next, there's so much. So to get that focus, to make sure you get the buck, you know, you get your, you know, the, the maximum buck for your time. You maximize your potential. To get that, it means we have to rely on the strategy of the Father. We have to rely on God. God. Which leads me to the third point, which is information about the Father. Information about the Father. You can call it intel. You can call it insight. He received information about the Father. Even though it was little, he had a recollection. He had a memory. He knew something about his Father. So something little enough to make him arise and say, I'm going back. And that's the potency of God and his word. The little light, the little information, the little insight, the little memory of my father says, I will arise and go back. We need information from God. Information about him. And in Ephesians 1 verse 17, Paul was praying this prayer. Ephesians 1 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Information about him. We're not talking about information as we know it, information in the world. We're talking about the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. That's what we need in this time and season. I wonder for a second what the journey back was for the prodigal son. Can you imagine? Deciding to walk back. To, you know, he, he went to a distant country, right? A distant, so it must have taken long. I don't know if it was by foot, by train, 
Maybe you didn't even have money for such mode of transportation at that time. No money. But he started making his way back. Making his way back. And all that time, there would have been voices in his head. There would have been voices in his head. Distractions. Are you sure about this? Will your father receive you? What about your brother? What if you get killed on the way? All manner of things he would have had to contemplate with. Yet, he made it. We will make it in the name of Jesus. As we contend for this new beginning, we will make it. Step by step, precept by precept, we will make it into his presence. We will make it in the name of Jesus. Quickly, the third stage is the father's action. The father's action. That's the third stage here. We've gone through three different stages now. We're going through the third stage. First is the prodigal son's decision and action to leave his father's house. The second is his decision and action to come back to him. The third is the father's action. In verse 20, he says, And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against you, heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father said to the servants, Bring out the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost. And now he's found. And they began to marry. What a picture of compassion. What a picture of compassion. It says whilst he was still a great way off. His father in anticipation. Can you imagine? How could he have caught him from afar? It means almost. Okay. This is. I'm making this presumption now. Because I'm trying to immerse myself in the story as a father. How could he have caught him at the very moment, the very day he decided to arise and to journey back? He must have had seasons and times where he was anticipating, looking out, hoping, believing that one day, one day his son will come back. Pouncing around. And his brother, the other son, the bigger brother. Dad, it's not coming back. Let, let it go, man. As some of you guys would say. Let it go. Forget about him. But from a great way off, he saw him. And he ran to him. The picture of compassion. And that is who our father is. Love that we can't comprehend. That no man can give. And I know it's a story of, and it's a parable of a father and two sons. But really, God told this story to tell us about his unconditional love for us. His heart of compassion. And how much he celebrates when one soul, when one person turns back to him. And I want to speak to the fathers. Mercy, Lord. Physical, spiritual fathers. 
let's be ready to meet our sons and daughters halfway. Sometimes I know how we can, and I feel it, you, you want to stand your ground and say until you do such, 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 just stay there, man. You can cry, you can do whatever you want. And I know, you know, you know we never know who this story applies to in a very personal sense as well. Where you actually have sons, daughters that have gone out. Thank God for his rescue mission. I believe we are moving into a new beginning where there will be a reconciliation, a reunion. Sons coming back to the fathers. Daughters coming back to their fathers. There's been so many times in time past where there's been a great exodus out of the church. It is time for a comeback. We claim back. We contend for their souls. We call them back. Lost sons and daughters. But in beholding this time and this season, a heart of compassion is required. A heart of compassion, just like we saw the father have for his, child, for his son. We have to have the same. We might have to look out for them. We might have to see them trying to make that step towards us and go and shower them with love like we see here. Because don't forget what brought the son back is a memory of his father. Like, there was a conviction that if I arise, if I go back at, at the worst case scenario, like some of us would say, last, last. Worst case scenario. I'll become a servant, one of his servants. But there was a certainty, there was an assurance, there was a conviction. And that is the heart of compassion we have to have as well for people. That they feel like they can always come back. They can always approach his throne of mercy and receive forgiveness. That we would not judge them. That we would not chase them out. The last stage is stage four. His decision to remain and abide with his father. I know what you're thinking. Maybe you thought stage four is the other brother. <laughs> but this is a thought. I just pondered what it must have felt like for him the morning after. After all that celebration, after all that jubilation, what was it like? What did he think of? How did he wake up? Maybe the euphoria and the excitement of the celebration was still, it was still patting and dancing like the celebration in the air. Just that we, you know, we've been celebrating. There'll be more celebration in the name of Jesus. GCSEs, thank God for that. Wedding, wedding bells ringing, celebrations. The excitement, the euphoria, maybe it was still, he hadn't won off yet. Day one, the morning after. Maybe out of paranoia, he decided, I'm not going to close my eyes. I don't want to wake up and find that this is a dream. I'm going to stay awake. But he slept off. And then he woke up. Dreaming maybe, having a nightmare of previous times. Where he was feeding the pigs. Where he lost all. And he woke up and said, oh, it's just a dream. Or maybe he dreamt of 
good times. The celebration still in his mind. He woke up and he said, oh, it is real. After all, the scripture says, I think in Psalm 126, when the Lord turned the captivity of Zion, they were like those that dreamed. And there was laughter, celebration, joy, joy filling the atmosphere. So day one, it's real. I'm in my father's house. What about day two, day three, day four, five, six, seven, ten? What would have been the contemplations of his heart? Stuck between who he was and who he's meant to be. Stuck between yesterday and today and tomorrow. Uns unclear, uncertain about his identity. But certain about the father's love. What was his contemplations? I'm hearing about this new beginning, this new lease of life, this new order. But I'm here. Can he be real? He has to contend with a brother that is begrudging him, a brother that is not happy with him. Maybe he even caught the eye during the celebration of a servant that was giving him snake eyes. Like, man, you've come, yeah, you know, you've come to, what, what do you say? You've come to limit what could have been mine. You've come to reduce my portion. Maybe the servant thought, I'll replace this lost son. So many things would have been on his mind, but he stayed on course. He stayed on course. And it's the same point I have. My time. The same point I have about that season, that new scene, his decision to remain with his father. It could have been day 21. After all, they say it takes 21 days to form a new habit. That's what they say. But it could be instant or it could take time. Whatever it is, we have to stay the cause. We have to keep looking unto him, the, the author and finisher of our faith. Beholding him, beholding his glory. The same points I have, four eyes, quickly, four key points around beholding. Because the same beholding that brought him out, and he decided to go back to his father. Is the same beholding now that he's with his father. He has to do much more to stay the course. The first is imagination. He's the image of the father again. Once upon a time, he, he knew the father. He was with the father. And then he left. And all he had was a memory. A vague memory of his father. Now, he can see his father right in front of him. And he has to keep beholding. He has to learn. He has to unlearn the old things, the former things, and relearn new things about his father. What, what is his strategy? What is his ways? What is his plans? What is his purpose? How do I fit in in all of this? The second is, again, the identity of the father. Who do men say that I am? Who do you say that I am? Beholding us in the mirror. When we keep looking 
we, became, we become transformed from glory to glory. Identity of the Father. He says, my son was lost and now is found. Dead, now alive. Lost, now found. Question, would he describe himself when he meets people? Maybe new friends of his father. Uh, I am, I'm that lost. I was dead. Now he has to find himself. Because there will come a time where the father doesn't describe him as the lost one, the dead one. But the one who is alive. There will come a time where we, you, that which is on the inside of you, would not be described as lost, wasted, dead, but alive, quick, powerful, impactful, life-changing in the name of Jesus. The third thing, information from the Father. Remember in, the, in stage two, it was information about the Father. This time it's information from the Father because now he's in the presence of his Father receiving remember job in job 42 verse 5 i have heard of you by the hearing of my ear but now my eye sees you there's a different level a different depth when it comes to beholding him just if you think you already know him there's more to come even paul said that i may know him in the power of his resurrection the fellowship of his suffering Beholding, continuous tense. And the fourth thing is illumination. Because the entrance of his word gives light and understanding to the simple. He was in a dark place before. But now he's in the presence of the father. He's in his house. Illumination. He can see clearly now. What was once dark is now a bright light. In the name of Jesus, as I round up, I don't know what stage you are in. I don't know where you fit in this story. But I pray in the name of Jesus that you would choose right. And you would remain on that right path. You will stay the course in the name of Jesus. No more shall the enemy trample on our gifts, on our talents, on our time, on our opportunities. But we are coming back to him. In the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We do hope you have been blessed. Our special thanks go to all our partners who give generously to support our ministry. You are welcome to be one of us. We'd like someone to talk to you on any of the issues raised in today's message. Please do call us on plus 44 208-597-3110. Or you visit our website on www.hccenter.org.uk. May the peace of the Lord guard you and keep you till we meet again. God bless you.